0: Welcome. Well, God our Saviour It's the title of the message this morning. God our Saviour. And that noise just helps emphasise, I think. This morning we're continuing our series on 1 Timothy. If you're surprised that we're in a series on 1 Timothy, that's okay. But we are on a series in 1st Timothy that goes for a few weeks and in our passage this morning, which is a brief one, it might be one of the briefest ones we've had recently, I want to make it clear at the very start that God, being our Saviour, is the centrepiece, not only of this reading this morning, not only of my message, but of Christianity, God our Saviour. Mankind needs saving, And it's easy to water this down. We cannot and should not do that as Christian people. And that doesn't mean that we don't adapt our means to our audience or our message to our audience or that we don't consider the context when talking about God saving and what that means. Or that we don't use tact when talking to others. We don't be considerate. But it does mean that we as Christians realize that we have a message, the good news, the great news, that all people, regardless of creed, they need to know. They need to know of God our Saviour. They need to know that by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith we can be saved, and that we all need this, and that God the Saviour died for us, He died for you, He died for all. For all your sins to be forgiven. And Paul talked about this in chapter 1 of First Timothy, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom he, Paul, believed he was the foremost. Or, to put it in a bit more of a modern way that would be easier for us to kind of get, he felt like he was at the front of the line, put his hand up and went, I think I'm right up there with sinful people. And I don't think that's a bad way to think, in one sense. Once we've been forgiven, we need to think differently. Once we've come to Christ, we need to think differently. Paul finished chapter 1 by encouraging Timothy in his faith, exhorting him, encouraging him in his ministry. And we also heard that at the end of chapter 1, we heard last week that he said some choice things about some people that he didn't like, people that he didn't feel were great. And you know what? I think we've all done that at different times. Whether we regret that or not, probably another topic. But Paul didn't end there. He went on at the start of chapter two to urge Timothy and to urge Timothy in a very particular way, to urge him to continue in his faith in a particular way. And there's an important lesson here, that no matter what happens in our lives, hardship, difficulty with others, we have a choice. Will we focus on a problem or focus on a solution? Will we endeavour to trust God and grow in our faith? Or will we continually look back and lament at what has been? Or maybe think of the brighter times, maybe where the grass is greener, or the glory days for us, when things seem so much brighter. Will we continue to argue with others or will we look for ways to build bridges with them, to be peaceful? Paul urges Timothy to grow to grow, and to grow in one way, particularly. He says this, we just read it. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Paul's encouragement here, his first encouragement, to a young man serving in ministry was to pray. Seems like good, solid advice. Everyone probably agrees with that. Prayer is probably a good thing to do, especially if you're a young person in ministry, or any person in ministry, or any person at all. Prayer seems like a good place to start. But Paul doesn't just say prayer, not in the broad sense. He encourages certain types of prayer here. Now, When we talk of prayer, we we often think of, of different things, we have different ideas in mind. Some of us think of perhaps the posture of prayer, kneeling, getting down, others with hands raised, like this. Others think perhaps of prostrate on the floor, repentance, or in praise in different ways. Perhaps prayer with someone out the front, like this morning, that we have experienced, which is a beautiful thing, in a church service, with a call and response. And the truth is that there are many different ways in which we can pray, and we all know this. The Bible gives us many different examples of this. But what is more important, what is more important than these different ways, is that we do pray. Whether we stand up, we sit down, we kneel, we're prostrate and call in response. The important thing is that we do pray. And as with so many spiritual disciplines, it's something that does require deliberate planning at times. Deliberate planning. Ian e. Bounds, a well-known Christian writer on prayer, once wrote this, When faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. When faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. We must not just talk about praying, there's an easy trap to fall into, as with so many things in the Christian life, it's easier to talk about. We shouldn't say, for instance, to that Christian friend, oh, I'll be praying for you. I bet you've had that, actually. Most of us will have had that. But did we actually pray for that Christian friend? Did that Christian friend actually pray for you? It's far more important. because. Faith is sustained by our continued walk with God, not just prayer, other things as well, but prayer is crucial in our communication. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian walk. We cannot expect to grow or keep our faith strong if we are not praying and seeking God. And once again, this can take many different forms. We shouldn't say that we're praying for somebody flippantly. If we're saying that, we better be praying for them. Because we're not just lying to ourselves, we're lying to God. We're lying to the other person. And I know I have done this in my own life, so I'm not pointing the finger here. I have definitely done this. And I felt great conviction from the Holy Spirit about it. It's not a good thing. We need to pre- treat prayer with respect and God with respect. Prayer is vitally important to the Christian walk. And Paul is telling Timothy here, he's urging him here, To pray. To pray. And I do think that often prayer is a bit like an iceberg. We see the surface, we see what's on top, but often there is so much more underneath. Prayer is not just petitioning God for things or asking for things, it is a chance to lament. We've talked about this in previous months, it's a chance to mourn with God, it's a chance to be angry with God. (laughs) It's an opportunity to communicate. It doesn't take much to say a simple prayer, of course, but it can get and be so much more complex at the same time. Our young people here in the church often do popcorn prayers in our ministry. And that's where they shoot off little one sentence prayers to God, labeled a popcorn prayer, like pop up to God, there we go. And that's beautiful, it's powerful. And I think we should do that in our day, but it must go deeper than that. It has to go deeper than that. And I think we can go deeper in a number of ways. We can go deeper by learning more about prayer By reading books, by talking with other Christians, by trying different ways. As mentioned previously, we can look at the different postures we could take, spending time praying in these ways. But also, we can go deeper in the experience of prayer, in small groups, with others, in families. Maybe prayer walking might be something you do. In fact, I know many people in our church do prayer walk, early morning or late at night if you're brave. The scriptures tell us many times of when Jesus went away, alone to pray, up a mountain or elsewhere. It's great to pray in church on a Sunday. It's a beautiful thing, very important. But we should also be praying regularly and deeply in different ways. I wonder if we have ever thought about that for our own lives. I'm sure many of you have. There are three different types of praying that Paul does mention here, and there are more, of course, and not including the word prayer that is also used in our text this morning, but we're going to spend a little bit of time on each of these, supplication, intercession, and thanksgiving. Now, I'm not going to go into a theological treatise on these things, but I'm going to touch on them uh, briefly. Now, Meatloaf once said, two out of three ain't bad. He was not always right about a lot of things, the old meatloaf. Uh, In the grand final a few years ago, he wasn't great either. But (laughs) also, by the way, for any AFL plans in the room, go GWS. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Please don't switch off because I talked about football. Uh, Back to prayer. These are mentioned here in our passage. And two out of three ain't bad, but I think we need all three and more. To have a healthy prayer life. These ways or types of prayer are about the approach, the approach we take as we come. It's an attitude and a mindset as we come to pray. Let's look at supplication, for instance. In ancient and also not so ancient times, a supplicant would come to the throne to make a request. We come to the king or queen to ask of a higher power than themselves for help And this, in fact, comes back to the title of my message this morning. They went to somebody who had the power to save. As we go to God, our Saviour, we go to our King for help, to be saved. In more than just one simple way, in many ways, we go to our King for help. We go to the throne as a supplicant, coming to the one who has the power The power to do something about what we're facing, the power to hear what we're facing, the power to feel, for He was a man just like we were, just like we are, men and women. And He knows our struggles and our needs. God is this higher power. I think this is really crucial to how we approach prayer in our lives. If we didn't know that God could help, why would we even bother going to Him in the first place? Humbly respectfully, coming to Him and asking the King of the universe to help us. Being a supplicant is really important. It's saying that we both see the power of God and His authority and also recognize our limitations and our need for help. Sooner or later, every single one of us, every human being in fact, realizes that there are things that are well out of their control, that we cannot control. And that willing something to be is not enough. Just wanting it is not enough. Pain, heartache, disease, tragedy, they come. They will come and have come on many of you already in all of our lives. And who do we go to in these times of trouble? Where do we go? We go to the king who can save. And that doesn't mean that everything perfectly, magically fixes itself. Of course not but we go to the one who we know can save. And there are some beautiful examples of this in Scripture, in the Psalms particularly. and Psalms 4, 5, 6, and 7 are all about a supplicant, someone coming to the throne with a request. This is the way that Paul urges Timothy to pray. Come to God. Know who he is. Know who you are. And grow in your faith. Secondly, intercession. Now, this sounds like a deeply spiritual word, and I think it is. It is a deeply spiritual word. But really, all that intercession means is to step in on someone else's behalf, to intercede for them. It's praying for others. Praying for others. And many preachers, well beyond my vintage and in the past have preached about Ezekiel chapter 22 in this way when talking about interceding. Ezekiel chapter 22 talks about someone standing in the gap, holding a breach in a wall, for instance, something that needs to be filled, like in the famous battle of the Spartans at Thermopylae where they stood in the past, small army, a small amount of people against great odds, which coincidentally as a little tidbit of interesting history, was about 2,500 years ago, just last week. Pretty interesting. Thermopylae. Holding the gap with others. This is powerful imagery in prayer and should invoke in us the idea that it needs some bravery to stand on behalf of others in prayer. Standing with someone in prayer is, is a really powerful thing. And this is what interceding is, it's stepping in and taking some responsibility for somebody else's life, what's happening in their world, the struggle they're facing, what they're encountering. And it's not a surprise, then, that we are called to love others, because it actually takes love to do this, it takes love to step in and pray with somebody when they're sick, their family members are facing difficulty when they've got great tragedy. It takes love to do that, to stand in prayer. And this means really standing with them, not willing to fall back when things get difficult or when the prayers don't seem to be answered, but praying even when the circumstances look dire and the odds are overwhelming. This is interceding. This is what we're called to do. In many ways, not just in prayer, to stand with others. And lastly, after Paul has urged Timothy to intercede in prayer for others, he's telling him to be thankful. Thanksgiving is the word. And this is truly an important and often neglected part of prayer. Often we come to God and and ask our requests. And often we come to God and pray for others. But it's rarer that we come to God and just thank Him. For all that we have, for all that has happened in our lives that is good, and perhaps some of the bad that has shaped us, to be truly thankful for the blessings we have received. And when Paul wrote of thanksgiving, he wasn't thinking of pilgrims around a table, which is often what comes to mind for us when we think of thanksgiving, but he was likely thinking of what was common in his time, for his people, the Jewish people, which was Sukkot. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. This was a time of thanksgiving for the Jewish people, a festival held regularly, and in fact, coincidentally, just like Thermopylae, next week in our current day and age. Although the dates, they don't look right because they're done the opposite way. I don't know why people do that. Thanksgiving was given regularly. And this feast, this Jewish holiday, people would thank God for where they had been, where they were, and where they were going, and of course, for the physical needs that they had been supplied, what God had given to them from the harvest. Now, the next image I'm going to put on the screen, I'm giving a warning, okay, warning. This one I have censored for church viewership. It's okay, it's safe, it's all right. This is the Roman goddess, Keris. Carelia was a feast that was given in honour of the goddess Ceres, pictured here. The Romans would have this feast in thanksgiving. They would have it to thank their goddess for what they had received. Keris also is where we get the word cereal. Coincidentally, who had cereal for breakfast this morning? Any take good? Yep. And I bring this up because thanksgiving is not unusual whether you were a Christian or not. In fact, it's very popular in our modern day and age to make a list of your blessings, tick them off, be thankful. But what is important, I think, very important, is who we are thankful to. Very important that we realise who we're thankful to. Just as with supplication, coming to the throne and knowing who God is and why we come and why we stand in the gap for others. Knowing why we thank and who we thank is really important in prayer. Now, we have got a little bit away from our text, so I want to bring us back to what Paul says next. He says to Timothy about these ways of praying, to pray for kings and those in high position. And he really wants to encourage that our prayer is for all as well. Everyone is mentioned so that we may lead quiet and peaceful lives in godliness and dignity. It's good. He says to pray for kings. And we can all see that leaders in our world have a tough job. It's tricky to be a leader, no matter what you do. Doesn't matter whether that's in the church or outside, no matter what industry, whether that's working in education, whether it's working working in health, wherever it is, being a leader is a tough job. Because criticism comes against leaders. Valid or not, criticism comes. And they need help, especially if they're not good leaders, (laughs) they need help. Who better to help than the Lord, who is our helper? And of course, we know that if someone of power decides they want to go walking off a cliff, inevitably, others will follow. It does happen. So how much more should we pray? How much more did Paul encourage Timothy that he should pray for leaders? The church was facing some difficult things at this time when the letter was written to Timothy. Pray for leaders. They need prayer. Politicians need prayer. And we regularly pray for them here in church. And perhaps even more so they need prayer if we don't agree with them. And church leaders need prayer. Our bishop needs prayer. Our archbishop needs prayer. Our local leaders need prayer. We need to be praying for our leaders. Because there are many things out of our control, as mentioned before, but prayer is something that we can do. And Paul encouraged Timothy to do this. And Paul did say, this is so we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. That sounds nice, doesn't even the rain coming in quiet and peaceful life. I think everybody wants that, don't they? Nice to have a nice, quiet and peaceful life. Who has that? Anyone? And I'm afraid that the bubble has already burst for us just a little bit. We know life is not going to be quiet and peaceful. That doesn't mean mean we don't endeavour to live one. And in fact, it doesn't mean that we don't endeavour, as our service has already mentioned in some of our words this morning, We don't endeavour to bring that peace to situations, to be peace bringers, peace givers, ourselves. The bubble is burst that our lives won't always be peaceful. There might be seasons and they are great blessings and we need to thank God for them in prayer. But in fact, our lives are tumultuous. We do have trouble. And Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, which we're not in at the moment, but he wrote it in the second letter, indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Oh, that's good news. I feel good about that. I hope you do too. Opposition will come. Opposition does come against Christians, regularly, for what we believe. Whether that's valid criticism or not is a totally another thing. But hard times are going to come. It's not always going to be peaceable. Peaceful. And I've known a number of Christians who think that this is, in fact, the, the mandate of the church um, to stir trouble, <laughs> that to, to this verse is a license to make difficulty for ourselves. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think what's really important for us, though, is that we consider what we bring, what we bring in prayer, what we bring as Christians, to be peaceable in what we bring. And I think this is where dignity comes in. Dignified was mentioned in the verse, showing dignity, to live in a way worthy of honour and respect, to live such good lives that people can't help but respect us, even if they don't agree with us or our faith. And of course, in a broader sense, dignity is owed to all people, regardless of race, creed, sex or opinion, dignity is owed. we as Christians need to be dignified in what we do. It should be said that as we try and understand Paul and what he's saying, we're trying to understand a man in his context, in his time, historically, and as a Jewish man growing up in his society. And this was mentioned, lost some amplification there. We're trying to understand something that is very different to us, in a world that operated very differently. And it's important that we don't judge Paul too much by our norms. The norms for him were very different. But we can be very sure of one thing, of Paul, very sure. That his intention was to see all people come to a knowledge of one thing, of Jesus Christ as Saviour. We can be very sure of that. He says as much in many different ways throughout his letters, not just in 1 Timothy. And sometimes Paul is hard to understand, but to disregard Paul is, in fact, to disregard a majority of the New Testament. His writing to Timothy here was very intentional. That Timothy would continue with this very powerful message. God is our Saviour. There is no other. God is our saviour. And we have one mission while we're here on earth. It's not to be rich. It's not to accrue possessions. It's not to build monuments to ourselves or a reputation. It is to spread the message of God our saviour to the world. Who desires everyone, everyone, it says in these verses, everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. desires everyone saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It's very important for us as Christians. We as a church are here to spread this message. We are here to spread this message. And not all will come to a knowledge of this. But we should be praying for it. On a more pragmatic level, Over the years, I've heard some beautiful stories from Christian people of how they've prayed for a loved one or loved ones, friends or family, to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to come to faith. And then the joyous testimony of hearing how that has happened. They've prayed, and then they've seen those loved ones come to faith or maybe come back to faith because they've been away. And I want to encourage us all in this pragmatic way this morning. Don't give up on this don't give up on praying for those loved ones. No one is ever too far away that God can't bring them back, that God cannot save. I dare to say that some of you right now will have in mind a person. Some will come to mind right now. And I encourage you, this week, pray for that person to come to a knowledge of God our Saviour. Come back to a knowledge. Pray about how God might use you in that process. Communicate with God who can save about how he can save. And you don't need to have any special words to do that, to step in and to intercede, You don't need anything special. You just need to talk to God. And if it comes to sharing your story or sharing your faith with somebody with words, you don't need much. You just need your own personal story. Your own testimony is a powerful thing, the Bible says your testimony of how God has saved you. It's really important that we pray. And this is the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy. Pray in your ministry. And that doesn't matter if you are a person who ministers in a church, or a person who ministers in any capacity. In your world, in your workplace, in your school. We're encouraged to pray. And spread the message of God our Saviour. For we've said this a lot lately as a church, that we as a church believe in revealing more of God through who we are because of who God is. I encourage you this week to pray. In Jesus' name.